Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone trying to find me, you should just look on Instagram uh, for Justin uh, and the Food Entrepreneurs and Justin Bazaar. We respond there. It's where I respond. It's where the the people that temporarily help me or help me every once in a while, they respond, okay? So um, thank you, everyone. I want to address another question real quick. I've already addressed it on the last episode, but I'm going to emphasize this. This show is not a foodie show or a food blogger show. That is not what I am. That is not what I do. I don't do that. I don't go around and taste food or or leech off of people. And I don't do this to get free meals or a free hotel stay when I stay somewhere from my corporate job. That's just not what I'm doing. I'm a full-blown food entrepreneur. There is no corporate job for me. This is part of what I do, is part of giving back and helping other entrepreneurs grow because here's how I get rewarded. It's not free meals. It's I grow from the entrepreneurs on it and they grow from each other and me. And so that's my reward. It's not monetary. It's not looking for anything free. It's looking to give back and allow the entrepreneurs who come on the show to grow themselves by giving back also to the audience and to me. So it's a giving relationship and it's not monetary in any form. I just want to emphasize that. It's not a foodie thing. I don't do this to get likes or boost a thing. Like that's not what I'm doing it for. I'm unattached from the outcome. I'm unattached from the downloads or the listeners, okay? Which brings me to the second point. I can't believe I have to explain this to everyone, but shame on America especially and shame on anyone who helped you study for statistical or um stat tests or whatever they're called, like the GREs and the SATs, whatever, I forget the name, but however they do it, scholastical uh, analysis testing or whatever it is. And so here's why, because if a person's in a car and you have a radio on and there's four people in a car, how many listeners do you have? Do you have one listener because there's one radio playing everything on it? Or are there four listeners that are in a car? So let me go to an example. If you have one company that downloads it at a food facility and they have 130 employees that are all listening to it through the loudspeaker, is it one person listening to it because there's only one download? Or are there 130 people listening to it? Let's like make it a little more complicated for everyone. You're a person that was just on the show, Sam, and you're rolling up to Keto's. You have 25 franchises. Each franchise has 10 locations or 10 employees in it. Okay, so you have 25 downloads, but you have 10 listeners in each download. That's 250 listeners. I'm sorry, guys. That's the way it works. I don't know how else to explain it to you, the difference. And sometimes it gets confusing or we misuse the words, but that's how it works. And I don't know how it can't be more obvious than that. Like if you're in the car with your family, you're not the only listener. It's your whole family. And like, uh, so we can get into that another time. It's about impact. It's not about the number of downloads. It's about the number of people that listen and we make an impact on an influence and the businesses and entrepreneurs that then play these for their employees and their people because it helps them build the culture in their business. That's the purpose of this podcast, okay? If you're here because you want more influences and and you want to boost your social media, you're in the wrong podcast. I'm just, I, that's not what this is. This is for influencers who have built their life off of Food entrepreneurism, sure, but it's not the other way around. It's just not a place we don't talk about the food as much. We talk about the experience and what it means to be a human in this world, and the food's like 10%. So 
I hope I've got that down again for everyone. And from the point of being an entrepreneur, of course I build everything myself. I don't wanna pay someone else to do it. I don't wanna be on someone else's schedule. So yes, will I leapfrog off of someone, but eventually I figure out how to do it myself and then build a company around it. So. This podcast is four years old. We have been doing this for four years. There's been ups and downs and things we've tried and things we've failed, but it's always been an experiment or an experience, however you want to look at it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, because I didn't have a clue what I was doing four years ago. So that's what I have to say. That's my commentary. So with that being said, I'm going to introduce our guest, Jason uh, Selva from Beatdown Barbecue from Los Angeles, California. How are you doing today, Jason? Doing awesome, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. So, Jason, let's, um, you know, I just did a bunch of talking, so it's your turn for a while. Um, Tell me about your story. Tell the audience about your story, your love of barbecue, like your childhood. Like, where did all this manifest from, I guess would be the proper way to put it. Yeah, so one of the biggest questions that we get is why are we called Beatdown Barbecue? I mean, that's kind of an aggressive name. Well, the real reason is is because I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and selling barbecue. Yes. I love it. Go ahead. uh, Up and running during the pandemic. That's why it's called Beatdown. So uh, what was a little hobby ended up turning into something real. What had happened was a couple months before the pandemic, uh, my kids' team was really good at winning medals, but we didn't always have the nicest uh, gear. So in Jiu-Jitsu, they wear a martial arts uniform, which is called a gi. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. And uh, we needed to get a heat press to heat press our logo on the back. We had thrown up a uh, barbecue pop-up just to try to raise some money. It went real well. And then, you know, we started getting requests for more barbecue. And right before the pandemic, we had started selling once or twice a month. And as I alluded to, you know, it was a fun little hobby became real. It's how we kept coaches paid during the pandemic and help pay our bills. Okay, 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 okay. Let's just take a step back here, okay? I want to just focus on this. Your goal wasn't to make money to be rich. Your goal was to make money to provide a solution for people and it mattered. Just so we're clear on that, I just want to emphasize that with the audience. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So the reason I, what I was going to jump into next is I have some coaches here that were here on athletic visas and they didn't qualify for any aid during the pandemic. And the oh, way those man. athletic visas work is that they have to fight in order to not get deported so pandemic or not they face deportation so we had to send them around the country to compete and it all ended up working out wait let's go back okay because i have a ton of questions now and i'm just going to scratch whatever i had before explain the difference between brazilian jiu-jitsu if i said that correctly and Mm -hmm. other martial arts let's start there let's let's break down the skill and then let's talk about why it interests you what's your interest in it and why did you pick it up and obviously you're you instilled it in your kids i think is what i heard or they instilled it in you i don't know who started first but how did that all happen yeah so i mean like a lot of people you know my age i'm born 82 40 years old uh, the UFC was a big thing in the 90s, and there was no place for me to train. Um, eventually, I ended up finding an underground fight club that I trained at for a little bit. Uh, that got shut down because it was hosted at a uh, high school. When that, when the uh, at a high school after hours, there were some real big fighters that showed up over there. Tito Ortiz was in there training, and I found uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school. And my intention was always to do MMA, and I was going to train jiu-jitsu for a little while. 22 years later, uh, here I am. 
So earlier you asked about what the difference is between Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and some other martial arts. So I started off mentioning the UFC because that's where Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu got a forefront. Um, it, it's the grappling portion of, uh, of cage fighting or MMA fighting that focuses on control and using submissions to end the fight. It literally translates to the name The Gentle Art because you can apply as much force as you need to or as little force as you need to. And um, for me, I, like I tell my students, it's uh, something that we always evolve in. And it's been a never-ending video game for me. 22 years later, I'm still competing, still tweaking my game, and, and having a lot, of, a lot of fun with it. <laughs> See, this is the craziest thing about this podcast right now. I can't get over it just because... I know I'm like a super A performer. Like there's no doubt that I out hustle everyone and I'm probably one of the top hustlers in the podcast game and everyone's going to see it as I keep releasing an episode a day because I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to show everyone the discipline of entrepreneurism and as I'm taking on a new entrepreneur life and really focusing, I'm going to show what discipline is and what commitment is, but you're doing it through this art, okay? And this is what I want to focus on. Uh, For me... I found CrossFit later and things like that that disciplined me and gave me composure, and I already had soccer, but it is what you're talking about. It's the ability to have composure in a situation or be aggressive in a situation with you need to and have the confidence to know that you're going to win or that you can dominate. And so I love this about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I also love that it is so popular because of this, okay? And I love the translation that it has to entrepreneurism. So. 22 years later, you're a high functioning individual, right? Like it's like you obviously you train hard, you live your life by ideals, your family has ideals. So how do you, I mean you're, you you know you live your gym life by ideals. So how do you then come up with an idea to do barbecue? I know you just did a pop up, but it's not like I mean they're kind of hard to do. People just don't throw together, but maybe you did. I don't know. This is where I'm like sometimes God opens up doors for people when they're not looking cuz they can't do it for themselves and all of a sudden a door opens for them and then that's their path. And that's never happened to me. I've always had to really look for them and what God's giving me cuz I can be stubborn. But um tell me about this. Like I just I'm so fascinated like one I get the translation and the discipline, but two like you've fully made the leap now. Yeah, definitely. So you asked where it came from, and it comes from that martial arts, you know, mindset. We don't give up. And when when S um, hit the fan, you know, we were people, and you know, I, I had to be a leader. I had to be a wartime leader, not just for my family, but for my students and my community and everybody around me. We got into this. It, the we got the entire gym as a family, and we were going to succeed as a family, or we were going to go down as a family. So failure never really was an option, and. You know, I remember having a little bit of a breakdown because I didn't want to try to sell barbecue that much to keep the gym going. It was a little frustrating, but it it took off. You know, you mentioned God, you know, watching over us. You know, he really opened up a path for me. And I remember when I invested into my bigger smoker, my wife was asking me, what are you doing? This thing's expensive. And I told her I had the same gut feeling I did when I opened up my gym. And, you know, we, God's been God's been great to us. We got named like top 11 of the LA Times. We're now selling barbecue at the Coliseum. We have yeah. our of rubs, you know, and sauces. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's been great. So that's exactly how it happened. Like we weren't about to quit. And that's just like when you get ready for a tournament or a competition, you know, failure is not really an option. So yeah. that being a for my community. 
I'm, yeah, and you've got to, people look to you. Like, you're already a part of the staple in the community in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but now is a chance to take that image and that character you've built in that that human and reputation you've built and actually apply it to a larger level in the community. And God gave you the gift to do it, but also stay true to your core values in jujitsu, which I like this a lot, guys. I like this in the audience a lot because core values and the things we learn from sports or jujitsu or high discipline things or CrossFit that, that teach us maintenance and teach us to keep going every day and there is no breaks. That's what makes the difference in entrepreneurism. It's why I'm doing an episode a day trying to to show everyone there are no breaks. This is 75 hard if anyone does it or live hard program, however you look at it, but it's real in life. And for me, I agree with you, the entrepreneur thing, I when I first started doing the podcast thing again, because like 24 years of being in the food business and hustler and not having that anymore, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to like keep myself busy. Like I have no purpose and direction. I'm really lost. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do the podcast thing. But I remember that feeling like I had tears. I'm like, oh my God, is this really what I'm going to do the rest of my life? Is this really like something I'm going to do. I really want to be in food production and like get in restaurants again and and own businesses and be in marketing and, and really be in the chase and in the screen. But for some reason, the podcast thing kept pulling me and people kept pulling me in. And even if it was in a bad way or a commentary way or, or something from my past, it was weirdly pulling me in. And that's what happens, even though you never know when you're having a good day and it could be the worst day ever, but a door opened up for you. And I don't know how to explain it, but this is why I talk about walking in the light or aligning our will with God's will. And it's not always clean and it's not always not painful, even though it seems to look at, oh, it's obviously the right choice, Jason. This is what you should have done. Now you're an entrepreneur in two fields. And of course they translate together. But at the time you're like, I don't want to be a food entrepreneur. I don't want to take on something else. I totally get that because that has been my thing where all of a sudden a new opportunity comes. And now all of a sudden I'm a restaurant equipment entrepreneur and building restaurants and construction entrepreneur and now building food truck entrepreneur all in like literally a fast period. It just happens and you've got to be able to have the mental toughness which jujitsu gave you to handle it as an example so tell me about your background like before jujitsu like where do you come from what was your family life like like how did someone instill this stuff in you before jujitsu like core values like like you're a really strong person and i know jujitsu strengthens that but what was life like before that yeah, so, you know, I grew up in East Los Angeles. Both my parents are educators. Well, they were educators. They're retired now, and people always ask, you know, was your father a martial artist? No. You know, I'm really into cooking. Was your father a cook? No. So, I mean, just gr- growing up, you know, my dad taught us, you know, to have to have discipline and go ahead and do stuff. And, you know, at an early age, I remember, I'm not even kidding you, at two and a half years old, making eggs because I didn't want to wait for anybody to do anything you know for me and that's just kind of how things you know have uh have always been you know my dad like i said was a he was a teacher he instilled a lot of discipline in us and you know growing up i just always remember me not wanting to wait for anybody to do anything for me and it's kind of manifested in me having the ability to teach myself stuff everything you know from some martial arts to cooking, you know, also taught myself how to code a while back when I needed to design a website. And yeah, I mean, that's where it all comes from. Just, you know, my father instilling those values in us and you know, growing up in this area is, uh, is, is where it comes from. 
Yeah, I love this because I will tell you that there is a differentiator at a young age when there's discipline instilled or it's part of we pick it up as babies because our parents are that way. And it's very important that as we become parents ourselves or anyone in this podcast or entrepreneurs that we instill the same thing. And it's through our actions. It's not our words. We love do what I say, not as I do as parents, especially in America right now. It's a huge thing going on. And But your kids are eventually going to know like, oh, dad, oh, mom, why are you telling me to chase my dream when you didn't? And so that's the type of thing that our children are getting wiser, especially with social media and phones at their fingertips. So they know how to ask questions, particularly hard ones, better than we ever did. And they know how to be direct in a way that we never were taught. And so what I'm saying is it's important that we instill values and it's important that at a young age we recognize this. Okay. So I too was like that. I didn't want to wait anyone in my family to cook me dinner or food. I was hungry when I was hungry. And if it was cereal or grilled cheese or eggs, even at three years old, it didn't matter. If I wanted to ride the tractor, someone turn it on for me. I don't even need to reach the pedals. I'll drive it for hours. Oh, I need to make money. Four years old, turn it on and the mower. I'll mow the grass. Just I'll turn it off when I'm done and you guys can put it away. And I stacked my life that way because I didn't want to wait for people to give me money. And I didn't want to wait another week for allowance like everyone else had to. I didn't even take allowance in that way. We didn't have it because I had to work for everything. And so it was. it's just that. It's that instillment. So you have this in you at a young age. Tell me how this manifests like into your your adult years, this work ethic, this thing, um, and how jujitsu then is built off of this, like how you build a life off of this. And then I really do want to talk about the cooking because I think it's instilled in you. Um, and this is where genetics or our upbringing don't necessarily matter if God's instilled something in us that we need to, to foster. So anyway, I think cooking is that for you also. Yeah, so the, the discipline and work ethic, like I said, came from my father. What I didn't mention earlier is my father's an immigrant from Nicaragua. He came here at 12 years old, not knowing how to speak English. And within a year, had the language mastered, uh, won a Martin Luther King scholarship, and had already got a scholarship offer to UCLA and Cal Poly Pomona. So that's the kind of person that, that he is. And growing up, you know, he taught me how to read at a young age. I was reading at three years old. My childhood was filled with my father basically, you know, advancing um, our, our academic prowess. Um, I had learned algebra by the time I was seven. So my dad gave us a little bit of a head start, and it wasn't anything that was. Um, something I didn't have fun with it. I had fun, you know, learning all these things. So my dad taught us to always excel, you know, and push forward. And that's just, it kind of manifested itself. Um, and everything that I did, I dropped out of college my first, my first quarter because I knew that I wanted to be um, an entrepreneur. And I figured that I would learn more falling on my face rather than learning from a teacher who, wasn't able to do it i mean that might sound kind of cruel but that's how i felt at the time and there were a lot of times that i did fall you know on my on my face but it ended up uh, making itself um okay and that's just the mindset that you know i always had it wasn't popular for me to do that coming from a family of educators dropping out of school but uh, my parents supported that that this was my passion after my first day of training i knew it was something that i wanted to do forever and it was actually 9-11 that um, made me go into jiu-jitsu 100%. At the time, I was working a sales job, and 
I was driving back from the gym and we had heard the Twin Towers, you know, at what had happened. And I remember thinking to myself, life, life's too short to be working like I am. I'm going to go train because you never know when it can be over. And you yeah. never like it. After that, the last 22 years just went by fast. <laughs> well, and I want to point something out to everyone. And I just got away from the mic. I'm sorry, but I was writing something down. Like, here's something I've realized that's important about a mindset as a human. And, and here's the difference just from day one between me and everyone else or a lot of entrepreneurs and everyone else. And and I was lucky enough where my parents fostered a lot of it, maybe not all of it because there was still a lot of fear and trying to hold down and their fears being put on me type thing. But I will say this. Um, there's something that's instilled in you. Like I think of myself as an athlete. I'm not a gym rat. I don't go to the gym to lift weights and be buff and I don't body train and I don't go do that. I'm an athlete. I'm here to be in the best shape I possibly can, to be in the best function I can in case the shit ever hits the fan. For any reason, I'm in a foreign country. I'm in my own country. I'm in the best physical condition to kick ass if I need to as an athlete, as a human, as a protector, as a motivator, okay? That's the truth. And the better shape I'm in and the better stuff like that that I'm in, the more confidence I have. So this is a difference in my mindset. I go to the gym and I see everyone like looking in the mirror, getting all buff and caring. No, that's that's not, I don't even have, there is no mirrors in CrossFit, number one, which I love. It's about you versus you, not you versus the image of getting buff you. It's me versus me. And jujitsu is a lot like that. While you're against an opponent, it's still ver- you versus you getting better. Okay, that's one point I want to make. And being an athlete and being an entrepreneur and being like, for me, I have a lot of attachment based on being Italian, um, my upbringing and some bad stuff that happened to me as a child. I'm very um, into championing love, romance, intimacy, and sexuality. I'm just like that. And I love the romances and the languages and the Renaissance period and, and the embracing of the human body, even getting old. Okay. So that's what type of human I am. Okay. That I know. And I know I've been that from the beginning, that I've had those parts of me. So that's my lifestyle. So when I say this, this is the important part that I really love about what Jason said is he started training as a fighter. Okay. Deep down inside, he's always been a fighter. He just let it out. He just let his body go for it, and it became something that changed the trajectory of his life and further changed the trajectory of his life 20 years later. So it was long-term, but this is what it takes to believe and chase your dreams. And if you're chasing what God wants from you and aligning your will with his will, as any parent truly father would want and what he wants for everyone here is you to be the best version of yourself in the end because that's what anyone wants. That's the whole reason we're here. We have growth. Life has pain. We have to oversee all the animals in the animal kingdom. Hello, Noah's Ark. In case anyone forgets the most important chapter of the book, like, we're still the top of the animal kingdom and we're the angels in this life versus overseeing this entire planet. Just saying we have that power. And so this is the thing that I see. So I see myself as a protector of the world around me, you know, for regeneration. I see myself as an athlete because I got to be in the top performance for my family to not have a dad bod to be to if I ever have children to be the best motivator to them. And I have stepchildren and they're athletes and I always try to be great to them with with, uh, an ex. And so like 
the point is to push everyone to limit. And me thinking myself as an athlete allowed my children to also think, stepchildren also think themselves as an athlete permanently in life. I'm not going to do it professionally for a period. No, I'm going to do it for 100 years because it's never going to be enough. I'm always going to try to train. And that's important here. I'm always going to be an entrepreneur. I'm always going to be a father in the world, okay? Not whether it's my own children, but I'm growing humans and growing the world around me. And I'm also going to be a protector of the animal kingdom. Those four things, there's other ones, but those four things for the argument of this podcast are instilled in me from the day I was born. And because I understand that and I understand that purpose and it becomes my mindset, I can live life much more joyfully and happier than everyone else, even though I'm living in constant uncomfort because I'm trying to push myself to be better. And I think you get that, Jason, right? Like you're constantly training in uncomfortable situations to make yourself improve. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the reasons why, you know, amongst our student base, I really recommend that, you know, people go ahead and compete in jiu-jitsu if they're able to. The great thing about jiu-jitsu is that there's tournaments for every age and division. So you'd be a white belt at your age group, blue belt at your age group. And the reason why I encourage our students to compete is first and foremost, aside from fighting on the street, that's the only time that you're going to get to understand, the closest that you're going to get to the stress of a real life situation. So God forbid you have to use your jiu-jitsu, you know, you, you, you understand what it feels like to have that stress. Second of all, when you're getting ready for competition, you're putting the best version of yourself against the best version of someone else. So you're going to be better for that experience. You know, you're testing yourself. Your diet's going to be better. Your training's going to be better. And at the end of the day, you result in a better you, even if you lose. I have to admit, I'm trying to write notes here. I can't even spell jujitsu. I'm going to have to look it up. But one of the um, what I love about this is the discipline. And I love what you're saying. And I'm going to have to look it up uh, even more to get more details. But it's so important for an entrepreneur to have this. So let's take this transition. Like, how do you translate this into the barbecue? Because to be as successful as you have in the short period that you have over the last two years, I will tell you, it looks like a flash. And he's done and he's had success overnight, but it's ignoring the 20 years of entrepreneurial experience and life experience he had as a kid and the dedication and the hard knocks of the eggs and maybe even overcooking them at one time. And then also realizing he had to foster this love of cooking in the barbecue. So like, tell me how all of this translate into it. How do you run the barbecue shop from day one? Like what kind of mindset is there? SOPs, you know, because it's like training, right? You're training always now in barbecue to be better, I assume. Well, yeah, I mean, so the parallels that come between jujitsu and, you know, and barbecue, it's the same thing. And you're perfecting your craft and you're trying to put out, you know, a quality, a quality product. Um, and it's the same thing when I go out and I do jiu-jitsu, I, I compete, I need to put out a quality product and that product's me. That product, you know, might be my students. And um, as far as other parallels, you know, it's, it's, it's running a business, so we had to get that, that, get that together. And um, it, it has a lot of the same values. You know, we stand for family just like we do at the gym. Barbecue, food brings people together. And uh, what I love about food is that no matter, you know, where your background is, what ethnicity you are, food has always been able to, you know, bring people together. People have come over, over, over the dinner table. There's a saying, breaking bread, you know, for a reason. And I feel that my martial arts school does that too. And if you look at the UFC, for instance, uh, the UFC is an international 
a sports organization now. It, in my opinion, is probably one of the only, if not the only sport, where people will routinely root for fighters that are not from their country. That's beautiful. You're I love it. CrossFit's them. like that, too. That's the thing. I, I love that about jiu-jitsu. I agree with you 100%. Go on. And, and you and you'll see that in mixed martial arts. Like, you know, people will have Americans, well, their favorite fighter be from Brazil. Some Brazilians were like Americans, and it really is, you know, a melting pot. And that's actually, are you familiar with the, with some of the history of, of barbecue and how it got popularized? No, let's talk about it on the podcast because I love this, Jason. And, like, I love your entrepreneurial view of this. And let's talk about the history. Yeah, so... There's a couple of, of, of uh, ways that bar- barbecue got popularized. So a lot of people don't, understand, don't know that American barbecue is the only style of cooking that is native to the United States. Uh, we're a nation of immigrants, and uh, you know we brought in Mexican, we brought in French, but American barbecue is inherently American. So much so that P- Americans or people say Americans are barbecue snobs because it's not cooked low and slow. We don't call it barbecue, but uh, yeah. around the world, if it's over an open fire, it is barbecue. Yeah, that's true. So that's one hundred percent true. I love it. Keep going. Yeah, one of the ways that it got popular in the United States um, is that after World War Two, you know, there was a racial divide. Before World War Two, was a racial divide in the country. Um, after World War Two, you had black soldiers and white soldiers that fought together. And understood that, hey, you know, we're not black, we're not white, we're Americans. And so these people bonded. They were there in the trenches. They fought as brothers. And when they came back home, they came back as brothers. So a lot of them did not care what kind of racial divide was going on in the country. There's photos in Chicago of, of, um, of soldiers getting off the train going over to the south side of Chicago, white soldiers with black shoulders coming in and having some of the best-tasting barbecue of their entire life and that goes back to barbecue bringing people together as far as the origins everyone likes to fight about this some people say it happened in kansas city there was a guy out there getting roadkill some people say it goes back to you know when there was slavery in the country the slaves were given cuts of meat that were not savory or not considered the best cuts and it was cooked low and slow and there is a similar story for California style barbecue, tri-tip Santa Maria, it's a ranch hands cut, you know, so there's a lot of stories behind the origin, but at the end of the day, it all goes back to bringing people together, and that's what I love the most about barbecue. It's interesting to me, because the the version I've heard has to do with cowboys out on the range back in the day, and the way that and, and the way they had to deal with the dead animals, so if an animal died... They needed to cook it right away so they could transport it. So slow cooking allowed the meat to stay good for days, and they used the whole animal. We don't utilize the whole animals here in abundance in America. In foreign countries, they do, and we talk about it on Once Upon a Time in France from Nashville uh, about this. But this is this is one of the things I think is really cool about this. Sorry, I'm being a little loud in the mic. But it's, um, it's one of the things I think that we need to look at here is barbecue – is essentially in in Latin America, uh, and you said you're from Nicaragua, which is Central America, just to be clear, a great country to go to. And I obviously understand the American dream. I'm Italian. My family's been here only a few generations, so how important that is. But 
they utilize the whole animal. And so for me, it's like barbecue is just dying to go back to those roots. I think eventually where we're utilizing the whole animal, but I, I love the stories and I haven't heard all of them. The cowboy one always sticks, but I grew up on a horse farm and my parents were part of American quarter horse mm-hmm. association and national, uh, reigning horse association and barrel racing and whatever else there is. I don't know all of them. And I showed a little bit, but soccer was my interest in being an entrepreneur really stuck. I having a new fond love for horses and maybe entering them back in my life in a farm as I enter this life. Interestingly and weirdly, I have a calling with animals also that I feel that I need to do and maybe go back and visit the horse thing. But my point being this, we don't know necessarily where food comes from and there's so many ways that it comes out like it's like the hamburger did it come from hamburg or not and um but i love this and one of the things i love about it is you are right after world war ii food became a way to help soften the divide um for everyone else that had completely broken the divide when we went overseas and fought in war the divide wasn't broken here so it was softening it and you see this like Ben's Chili Bowl in D.C. has a lot of pictures, and Obama used to frequent it because it does have a significant, you know, black-owned, but integrating in the community and making the soldiers go, the soldiers are going there and the popularity and sort of integrating the community, or what's a better term? Um, melting pot was the one you used. I think that's a better term than I used. And so this is important, and food has always done this. It crosses cultural boundaries, Mexican food, uh, Italian food, you name it, uh, whatever food you want to come from, from whatever immigrant groups coming in, it always came in as something weird. I mean, look at, I talk about ramen all the time because it's funny. Ramen means something totally different than what we were used to as Americans. So when people heard ramen and real ramen based on bone broth start coming up, it was weird to people. So let's talk about your style of barbecue and how it's different and is it a los angeles barbecue or is it true to something else and let's talk about everything you do let's talk about your menu let's talk about your sides let's talk about all those things because i'm just interested in hearing it and let's talk about what style of barbecue you're actually producing or are you embracing them all yeah so much like mixed martial arts my barbecue is an amalgamation of a lot of different styles um, the barbecue scene in uh, Los Angeles is really exploding, and I needed a way to differentiate myself from the market, but also stay true to myself. Um, a lot of people do the classic salt and pepper out here, and that's great, but I wanted to be a little bit different. So I kind of take a little bit of inspiration from all the different uh, regions. So I like I, I, I like the bark that you get from Texas, but I also like giving some of the pop that are out here in California with some of those flavors. So I have a savory uh, hint on my meats with a slight little bit of spice. I like to do dry ribs a lot like they do in uh, out there in Nashville. Shout out to Martin's Barbecue. It's actually one of the ways that I fell back in love with barbecue in 2015 after i had stopped cooking for a while uh, martin's barbecue here in nashville is that what you said i'm sorry i yeah. lost you first yeah awesome and you've yeah, spent a lot of time here in nashville you said at one time so that's kind of well, cool yeah, no, i have some friends that are from nashville and i was do- doing a little bit of consulting for them so i was traveling out there you know four or five times cool. a year and i had stopped um, doing barbecue for a while my wife and i uh, snuck in a Martin's barbecue, and it was the first time that I ate some food. And I, usually, I go somewhere my food's better, and I tasted it. I was like, 
mine is not better. So that actually got me back into doing barbecue again. And then for my pork and even some of my sauces, I like to take inspiration from the Carolinas and that heavy vinegar base. So like my green barbecue sauce that I have, um, the flavor profile is kind of vinegary, like a Carolina sauce, but you get a little bit of sweet heat from the peppers that, that we put in them. That's one of our, our flagship uh, products. And okay, let's let's go let's go back. So you do pork, you do beef, do you do chicken, turkey? Yeah, we like, do chicken occasionally. Occasionally, but your main items are pork and beef. Is that right? Yeah, our, our briskets are our biggest hit. That's the number one. We do a lot of things with that. Do brisket burritos. Nice. You know, obviously sliced brisket. Uh, we're sold out for Christmas Eve pickup next year. I mean, next week. You have a lot of briskets that I ordered. The briskets probably our number one our number one seller. Uh, and I, I'm going to footnote this for a second. I'm going to pause you because you just hit on something. A lot of people ask me this outside of the podcast. That's important, guys. If you're going to do a Christmas meal, everyone does like turkey or ham, okay? Like you need to be different in your restaurant. You need to offer like a Christmas Eve dinner or a Christmas dinner that's unique. And I love that you're doing that. And you just mentioned it was sold out, which proves the point that I tell to everyone, like just stop offering the same widget. Like there's how many wid- people offering that widget? It's not, not everyone wants turkey and stuffing again after Thanksgiving, okay, or ham. Like, we got to get focused here, guys. So, I love this. Um, what is your favorite item on the menu? If you could pick a meal, the side, the meat, the side, or as they call here, one meat, two eats, and a treat or something. I don't know what the heck they call it here. There's some yeah, fancy no, that, saying in Nashville. Real, I haven't got it right. Real, yeah, that's real easy. My favorite side is what I call Armona's Cheesy Potatoes. It's my mother-in-law's recipe, and I adapted it to my own style. It's the only item on the menu that I've had every single cook every single week. I haven't gotten tired of it. It's a bit it's the, the cheesiest. It's like a cheesy potato casserole. It goes good on everything. That sold out within a day for the Christmas Eve pickup. And then after that, it would be, you know, our, our beef items. I, I really like our, I like our briskets. A lot of times I'll get the brisket and I'll, I'll, I'll put up, I'll mix it together with the potatoes and, and top them together. Cause like I said, our brisket profile is, is savory and that's, that's just my flavor profile. I like savory. So you get that savoriness, that pecan smoke, a little hint of that cherry that I throw in there. Nice. Is some of the spices that are in our rub. I love this. So, Talk to me about this because you literally went from like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I have this barbecue and it's a, a basically a restaurant and I'm servicing everyone. Like, do you, are you in a brick and mortar now? Like, tell me about how you decide to go from pop-up to brick and mortar, because that's quite a leap for an entrepreneur, right? Like all of a sudden there's a big risk and, and stuff yeah, like that. Well, so I mean, how I'm did you do a, that? I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a brick and mortar. I did not want to do that. Um, coming up, I worked at a lot of restaurants. Mm-hmm. I've worked every position from dishwasher to line cook during my jujitsu career. And so I like the model that we have now. We do a lot of catering, you know, we do celebrity catering and the model that i have now so allows me to you know align with my passion of winning my martial arts school and living and making a difference in our community so i do big events big fairs uh, like i said we're the house barbecue vendor at the coliseum the stadium out here and out here in los angeles is where they host the olympics in the in the 80s so we do and then we also go to some uh, some breweries So what we do is, you know, we have a couple of public cooks a a month. We have one big event and then, you know, we're just full of catering. We're full. I'm having an event almost every day up until the new year. That's awesome. It's so awesome. I love this because it's so 
atypical, but yet you're busy because you stayed true to what you wanted to do and you and what headaches you wanted. Um, okay, so here's another big leap that I really want to talk about. You literally then went from basically a caterer, quote unquote, restaurant-ish type thing, but base a uh, really a caterer, a barbecue caterer, like full blown, and now you have a consumer packaged good product or a CPG as they call them. And I don't love the term; I don't know why we call it that, but whatever your products going into the grocery stores in a package that's suited for the grocery store. So instead of saying CPG, I'm going to just say, well, you serve directly to the consumers, but you also now sell your product and your spices and maybe even your sauces. I I can't. Um, I didn't clarify that. Um, also in a grocery store. So you found a co-packer or something or someone to do this for you. And that's a whole other venture. So what does that look like? Because like, that was actually all honestly one of the plans. I never intended on selling food as much as we did. When, when I got into this, I'd wanted to put my spice rubs and sauces in, mar- in the market. Even, you know, during, uh, even during COVID, that was always the plan. So um, it took a while to get that uh, developed. The sauces took well over almost a year to be able to come to come to fruition. So we sell them right now on our website, www.beatdownshop.com, and we're direct to consumer. So it's a direct to consumer website that you know, we're put together. Everyone gets a chance to you know have beatdown barbecue in their home. But the reason why I'd always wanted to do that is I felt that I could help out and impact the most people by offering our spice rubs because one of the things that um you know i think people suffer from in this uh, country is, is obesity and there are yep. ways that you can I, it's funny hearing a barbecue guy say this but you know i i feel that if people can learn to make food at home it'd be a lot better for everybody and the spice rubs that i that i use are spice rubs and blends that i've been using for the last 15 years in my own recipes and uh that's where that's where that comes from the sauce is a condiment but you know you can use this work good in an air fryer they work good in soups and stews so having like um having products was always a, a the goal but it just took so long because of you know covid making everything go slow i put down twenty thousand dollars for a bunch of sauces it took six months for me to get them because of supply chain issues so we've been reimagining how we're doing our direct-to-consumer stuff. And I've been in that business. I did co-packing for people and sauces and spices and stuff, and we, we suffered badly because we started the, we absorbed the business during COVID, and it was a supply chain nightmare. Looking back on it, I wish we would have done it differently. But I do, um, but I do agree with you that it's um it's important to stick to it and and we were in georgia so the supply chain is nothing it was way worse than i'm sure los angeles because of being in the middle of nowhere no trucks out in the southeast america for some the odd issue reason. was with bottles that's what it was yeah the same spice rubs, the, the, the spice rubs were easy um because the company that that we co-pack with they do i don't want to burn anybody but they do some of the biggest brands that you've seen and uh it's a it's a family friend so they, they'll they'll trim order around in two cool. weeks um, I co-pack my the sauces. They need to be done differently. That's FDA regulated. You have to have an FDA regulated facility. Yeah, been an acidified foods cap- uh, certificate. Yeah, the bottles and caps nationwide were just low, and that's why it took forever to forever to get here. Yeah, and that's the thing people don't understand. In order to do sauces, it's totally different because if you're going to facility, they've got to have acidified foods. 
uh, certificate. And if you're going into somewhere like uh, high end, like Whole Foods or Walmart, sometimes they require that facility to also have SQF, which is safe quality food. So that's just, I want to emphasize that. Like, it's not just getting the social, you got to look at a lot of things. And I agree with you, you couldn't find bottles and caps anywhere and you couldn't hit orders. I, I've never experienced anything like it, but the plastic was coming from China and we weren't producing glass, enough glass in the United States to keep up with the demand because there were no one going into work in the Southeast because the government was giving away so much money. So it was like this whole awful cycle that just terrorized the food industry, especially in the Southeast United States. Um, okay. This is incredible. So let's talk about what each spice is. Let's name each one of them, your package. And then let's talk about each sauce also. Let's let's name it. And then I have a few other questions for you, Jason, if you still have more time and that's okay. Sure. Yeah, so the our our main rub that we use, like I said, all everything that I do represents me. The jiu-jitsu represents me, the barbecue represents me and my values and the spice rubs are, are no different. Um, I like to think that you can eat well and not have to necessarily put a, a bunch of calories in it. There's no excuse to, to be fat just because you're cooking. <laughs> With uh, that being said, the first one that we have is a throwdown rub. I mean, I'm sorry, it's called our, our Box Yo Mama rub. That's the name of the rub. Love it's what it. I use on- It's like I, knock I your mama I, out, like LL Cool J. Yeah, so the Box Yo Mama rub is what I use on the brisket. It has a little bit of savoriness, and uh, it's a very savory rub with like a little bit of kick. It works good on air fryer foods like chicken. It works good on steak, and so what we do with our, our brisket. Uh, the next one is called our Bust You Up Barbecue Rub, and that's more of a traditional style barbecue rub. It's a little bit sweeter. Um, it does have a has some has some sugar in it. It's what we use on ribs. We use on on poultry. And that has like your classic uh, barbecue flavors, which you would envision as like a barbecue rub or rib rub. Also with, because I'm Mexican, um, it has a little bit of a, of a kick in there. Uh, we use that on our poultry. We use that on our pulled pork. Oftentimes, like for my turkeys, we'll use both rubs. We do one layer of the uh, box mama rub, another layer of the bust you up. Uh, barbecue rub and so we like to mix it together and the last rub that's going to be available for purchase is one that i literally uh, got a text message that's available for pickup today it's called our throwdown rub it's another all-purpose rub Love it. um and it's what i use in all my keto recipes so i do i do a lot of keto and low sugar recipes because that's kind of big out here in california and the throwdown rub is my, my it's an all-purpose rub that's my base for any any keto recipe. Actually, before I got off the phone on the phone with you on the podcast, I was I'm making some keto pork belly for a tutorial that I'm filming, and we're using the throwdown rub as as the base. And you can, it has no sugar at all whatsoever. It's uh, keto friendly. And the sauce that we have is the loco verde barbecue sauce, and that is that green barbecue sauce that I had uh, alluded to. We have a few other sauces that we, you know, we did the bricks analysis. It's all been analyzed in there. But, I mean, honestly, with the trouble that we've had getting them together, I think I'm going to be focusing more on my barbecue rubs right now over my over my sauce. I, I left a bad taste in my mouth. It doesn't seem like things are going to be getting any easier for that production. No, I know. And that's the other thing. I, said. I don't know what's happening in that business, but I've never seen, like, the barbecue sauce or sauce business or 
canned foods business, that type of thing, because it's all around the same area, acidified foods. It just got slammed so hard in the United States. I, I just, it's incredible. And a lot of empty shelves are empty or being reused because of that. Um, and we see it everywhere. So I want to talk about um, eating well, because you talked about it. Like you obviously train. And so there's a lifestyle and the way that you feed yourself. And to your point, it's not your typical barbecue because you're conscious of what you put into your body because you are an athlete. And so talk to me about barbecue, but also talk to me about your lifestyle and how you eat as both a food entrepreneur as um, and as an athlete. Because now not only are you cooking, but you're also in that space. So things kind of align differently, I find. And you almost turn up the volume on, on your better eating when you're also a food entrepreneur and an athlete. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, no, definitely. So I don't adhere to any strict or exclusionary diets. Yeah, me neither. Uh, actually got in better shape during COVID and during <laughs> during doing barbecue. I've actually lost weight and have an improved body composition and people. It's because, bro, it's because you're doing keto. Not at all. I don't have an exclusionary diet. I eat plenty of carbs. But uh, focus one is whole foods and I use high quality foods. And I'd like to have a balanced diet i mean i work out every day so if i want to enjoy a beer when i'm at a brewery i can i can have a beer but uh, my diet is just don't do anything don't don't do anything in uh, in excess so typically you know in the morning you know i have you know i have i rotate between a few different breakfasts either an oatmeal breakfast and potato breakfast or an egg meal my next meal is some kind of greek yogurt meal that i make lunch will be protein of my choice with some rice Another Greek yogurt meal, and then you know more rice and meat at night, you know, or a salad. Uh, and the reason I have it kind of open like that is I also like to make it fun. So for me, my lunch is always my fun meal. So I, I'll make something different. And like I said, I just about what it's all about overall calorie expenditure. People are always trying to find you know a magic answer. You know, they're going to go carnivore. Maybe I'll go meat only. And yeah, you'll probably get some benefit because you're excluding you know carbohydrates and that substrate that holds on water but long term it might not benefit you and everyone's body is different you have to it depends on what your athletic or your daily demands are i'm what you call like a glycolytic athlete because i'm training two to three times a day so i need carbs yeah absolutely and i need, and I need, and I need glycogen but maybe for the average person they might not need you know as uh, as, as many carbs i'm also certified in nutrition so when we do a, a base diet for the average person, we always start off with a 40, 30, 30 base and then add on carbs for based off activity. So either 40% protein or 40% fat, depending on the person, and then it'll be 30, 30 of the, of the rest. So it's either protein, fat, carbohydrates, or fat, protein, carbohydrates in a 40, 30, 30 ratio, and then we add carbs based off act, uh, off activity. I have a lot of carbs because I work out a lot, but on days I don't have carbs, I have a little bit less carbs during the day, and I just kind of eat it intuitively, to be honest. I know, I know what that looks like. Yeah, same here. Over the years, and I've been really perfecting this since I was in my late 20s, and I was already in the food space for about 
<clears throat> nine years when I started really paying attention to the dietitians and nutritionists in the company and the hospitals I was working in that actually lived the lifestyle they were preaching, okay? And when they lived the lifestyle they preached, they were slightly different in the way they looked at the hospital menus in their own lifestyle than the rest of the dietitians and nutritionists in the hospital space or in the health food space because eventually it became the health food space. When back in the day in the 90s, there wasn't really much of health food. It was like whole foods and then the healthcare industry was the health food business. Okay, so that's transitioned quite a bit. And we've gotten much healthier, even though back in the day, people said, oh, we're eating healthy and we ate margarine. Not what we're talking about. But what I love about this is I agree with you. I adjust throughout the day. Like there are some days, like if I'm not training until one o'clock, I can eat something light in the morning, like two eggs and know that I just have to get to my first workout and then I'll put carbs and protein and vegetables in my system after the workout to handle a second workout because I work out twice a day. I'm, I'm That's just the way I'm, I'm built like an athlete. We used to do two days in soccer, sometimes three days. So on some occasions, I do do three days if I have the time because I don't like sitting behind a TV and it really bothers me if I have nothing to do and I waste my life and I can't. It makes me a hard person to be in a relationship with probably, but I can't sit still. And I like being active and I like going to cities and walking around them and eating my way through them and not just staring at a painting. And that's who I am. So this is what I'm going to emphasize on this on the eating thing. It is about whole foods. Um, it And I agree with you, Jason, 100%. And it's not about eliminating the carbohydrates completely because in some cases there's a chemical thing that happens and fats from meat like animal meats do really well with things like rice and potatoes and sweet potatoes that when they're processed through the human body, they help stimulate the growth of our muscles and particularly our brain more. And I know that's hard for people to understand, but everything we do in the growth of our body and everything that is extrapolated out of it and the reason we have the brain we have has to do with how we ate. I don't know why people don't understand that. Like it can't be more obvious. We are what we eat. We put into our body what our body becomes. Okay. And you need exercise and you need to be an athlete in there also. And you need to stimulate your brain and grow through books and reading and going out and getting exposure to the world and experience. But I like what you said because I think we try to adhere to a diet and we don't actually live a lifestyle. Okay. And to your point, I know my body better than anyone else or any nutritionist is going to know it at this point. And I know what works well in my body when I know when I need a piece of bread. I know when I don't. I know when I need a freaking two scoops of peanut butter in my body ASAP because I'm, I need to balance out my body. And I eat all natural peanut butter, of course. But... <clears throat> And I'm aware of my sugar intake. Like I don't have a sweet tooth, thank goodness. I do like milkshakes, but I drink whole milk. Once I switched, like someone convinced me to go off of dairy at one time, and it was the worst decision I made for my body. And it took me a few years before I realized, no, 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 no. I want milk and dairy in my diet, and I want whole milk. And that's for me, because for me, my body processes it well. My body needs it for athletic performance, especially if I drink it right before I go to bed. It helps in my muscle growth, uh, my bone density, especially as I'm getting into my 40s. And so that's the things I'm talking about. So I love that you talked about that, Jason. Thank you. And I know I went off a long time. Probably no one really cares. But I'm in pretty top phenomenal shape for a 42-year-old. And I could probably smoke most 20-year-olds in a mile to three miles at this point because I haul ass and I do it almost daily on top of my regimen, on top of walking with a weight vest, on top of doing a CrossFit workout every day. 
and, and like I said, at least two 45-minute workouts a day. So it's sustaining me, but I learned to listen to my body, and I learned to be friends with my body and know when it's in balance and it's at the right weight and what that takes and what I need to do if I increase my training or I'm somewhere and all of a sudden I'm decreasing my training. Like It's not necessarily about calories, but I understand the volumes I'm taking in also. So um, would you be in agreement with that, Jason? Like this, it's just knowing yourself in your own body and it's not necessarily about anything else other than that. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, it takes a while to get there. But yeah, I mean, understanding how how you work. So for one of my other jobs, um, I actually have a little background in, you know, doing some search engine optimization. I had done work for a hospital that did um, integrative care. Basically, what I would do over there is I would get uh, medical papers and translate them into layman's terms. And we were going over some um, articles because they're going to be doing some nutrigenomics testing over there. And what we found out was pretty interesting. Depending on the part of the world that you're from, your body tolerates food differently so for instance um i had a student that was from india and he was trying to name mohan and he was trying to put on muscle he came to us about 125 pounds five nine uh, very very lean very very skinny he did a classic bodybuilding diet loaded a bunch of calories bunch of carbs could not gain an ounce well while doing research for these articles i learned that there's different uh, genotypes for processing carbohydrates yeah, and blood types Somebody and all that from, stuff really cool i love this and topic someone from india has all of those so they can thrive off an 80 percent carbohydrate diet provided it's from regular foods and not gain an ounce so we threw him on a ketogenic diet and he gained 15 pounds so it's a little bit different understanding you know what part of the world you're from and how you tolerate you know, carbohydrates. Personally, for me, when I need to lose weight for a tournament, I don't do a keto diet. I'm higher carbohydrate, lower lower calorie and moderate protein. I do, I'll do. i go higher carb over higher protein, but that's my body. And when I go higher protein, low carb, I tend to pack on muscle. So it's, it's just you have to figure out what works for you. Yeah, and I'll tell everyone this. Um, there are times like I'm oh, I'm purposely always stressed in an uncomfortable situation just because that's how I learn to thrive and it's okay. I'm comfortable in the uncomfortable for lack of a better term. But one of the things that I will tell you is that when I'm hyper stressed, I need to actually put more carbs in my diet because my body starts burning fat at such a rapid rate that I need that carbohydrate transition to sugar to keep up with the burning because no matter how much I'm putting into my body, the fat's burning too quickly. And at least the sugar is keeping my body burning something and not eating away at my fat storage where I start losing weight too quickly because all of a sudden I can lose four pounds in a day. No joke. That's how fast my metabolism goes if I'm really stressed. And so one of the things that I, I like about this is like I'll add and I'll do like a big bowl of dirty rice when I know this is happening where I'll eat it three nights in a row and it's more rice than meat and vegetables proportion. It's more like, like you said, like 40 to 50% rice, you know, 20 to 30% meat and 20 to 30% vegetables because I need that sugar. I need to be burning something other than my body fat because I can't be in anywhere near a ketosis stage because that would be disastrous for me at that point. And so, and I probably couldn't function brain function wise because I'm such a high functioning individual that I need to keep feeding my brain, which is also the importance of like how I combine animal fat with um, starches during high stress times. I just want to emphasize that with everyone. Like I use stuff like that or, um, you know, uh, certain stint, uh, 
natural products during stressful times to help stimulate myself a little bit to get through those times because I know I need to hit the gas harder during the stressful times. That's where I succeed is making distance during the stressful times, not during the normal times. I can compete against myself and make distance during a normal time. That's easy, but can you do it during a hard time? So Jason, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're an incredible dude. And I'm going to be in Los Angeles in March, April. My friend Human uh, from high school, he's getting married finally. Uh, it's taken him forever to find the right match. I get it, I guess. And um, he's going to strap down and try to have two little Human. So I will be out in Los Angeles quite a bit um, for that and, and some meeting, um, sorry, some gatherings before that. So I'd love to come see you guys and maybe even try what you're doing and visit if I can. And again, I, I don't look for anything. I just like hanging out with individuals. I love networking and I have a, a, an, a fascination or an infinity or whatever the term would be, an endless pursuit of getting to know people and hear their story. That's also why I do the podcast and help them grow and connect them with other people. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to connect you with other people. I do a lot of the people that are on podcasts to help you grow. And I just want to say thank you, Jason. Like, There's been a lot of good people that have come into my life and a lot of positive people. I've had one or two pretty negative ones recently on and off the podcast, but um, it's really good to be surrounded by individuals like you and hear your story and realize that my work ethic and my dreams, I'm not alone and there's still hope in this world for the entrepreneurial spirit and the American dream because I believe in it as an Italian American and my family hasn't been here this long and yours has been here even a shorter period of time, but you captured it and, and you've grabbed the American dream bull by the horns. Well, well on one side of the family, the, the other side of the family, we found paper records after my grandfather passed away that we've been here since like 1650. <laughs> really? Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, that we, 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 uh, my family's up. My grandfather's side of the family were Mexican, but also from New Mexico. And when we were getting, he passed away at the age of 94 this uh, earlier this year. And we found paper records of this up here bringing it to the 1650. So <laughs> one half has only been here one generation. The other one is many generations. Yeah, I'm somewhat that way too. Like my mom's side, it's like German, Dutch, God only knows, Native American. Like it's all a mix because they've been in the United States for so long. So yeah, I agree with you. Like I have the American dream story on one side and that's what's instilled in me and the one I relate to, but I do have that side too. It's just that one's a lot harder and there wasn't as much success because there wasn't the same pursuit of the American dream, I guess, when that family came over. There wasn't the same opportunities and it wasn't for the same reasons, I guess. It was more of religious freedom versus entrepreneurial freedom. So the entrepreneurial freedom stuck, the religious freedom and free speech stuck. I don't, don't get me wrong. It's just I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an athlete, I'm a protector, and I'm a leader. So there's those things. Those where I was born. That's were instilled in me. So... I, um, you know, that's what I relate to is the Italian side, the hard work, the living the American dream, not wasting my ancestors time to get here on both sides, actually, for that matter, or any of my lineage. So Jason, let's leave everyone with anything like you coach every day, like you lead people in jujitsu every day, I assume. Um, and in your business. So like, what do you tell people? How do you inspire them? How do you get everyone to keep going when times are hard or they're having a bad training day? Like, what do you do or how do you inspire those around you or your friends and colleagues to to keep going? 
Yeah, so one of the things that, you know, we let we uh, let people know that the beautiful thing about being here on the mat in jiu-jitsu, especially post-COVID, is this is something that you, you get to do. Um, this is the only activity I know where you literally will have uh, kids that are teenagers, businessmen. I've had students that are billionaires, cops, and felons all training together on the same mat because it doesn't matter what their outside life is like. For those two hours that they're here, one to two hours, nothing else matters. Mark Zuckerberg recently gave an interview, and he was saying that he wished he had found jiu-jitsu many years ago. Why did it take him so long? He likes running, but the problem with running is your mind can go off and wonder. The beautiful thing about jiu-jitsu when you're training is that it forces you to be present, especially if you have a personality where you tend to overthink a lot. Because if you're not focused on what's in front of you, you get tapped out so i like to remind them of that yes and i agree with you and jiu-jitsu for me is similar to crossfit because there's a lot of different functions and the workouts never the same so there's the chaos which i like about jiu-jitsu and martial arts never any fights the same it's always different two minds two bodies doing different things and um but here's what i love about it and to your point is I ruminate like no one can believe. Like I probably have like 17 thoughts going on and processes going on in my head. Like I can literally carry a conversation with someone, have a totally different thing. And people are like, oh, that's not focusing. You just don't understand the skill that I develop by having to run businesses and how many companies and how many people dumping problems on me and trying to solve it and trying to keep my own job going. So like it became a skill I developed at a need, at a survival, out of trying to put food on people's tables. Because this is what I'm going to tell everyone, and I have something else for you. One more question, Jason. I'm sorry. I hope you don't need to go. But I'm going to tell everyone this. We talked about lineage. We talked about family. We've talked about the American dream now. This is the third podcast that I've had someone on. I don't know why this is coming into my life so much, but it's needed in this world. So I'm glad it is. And it's needed as a reminder to me or any American out there, what your family came through or an entrepreneur to get you to have this opportunity. So I want to say that. I also want to say that it's about working hard and outworking anyone. Like, you could be a regular person. You could not speak English. You could be an immigrant. You can be anything you want, but long-term discipline, commitment, and hard work in America and in a free market country really matters. It is a life changer. And people who say that's not true or go to corporate America and, and don't believe it, they're not, they are liars. I'm sorry, there is no truth. And anyone who makes doesn't see this, that doesn't see that hard work and consistency and discipline leads to something greater in life, we're making gaps in legacies here and in generations, and we're almost creating two humans, species, because we have one that believes anything's possible and raised in this positivity, and we have this this group that everyone across the world's like, oh, it's enough, we're enough, and maybe it's a little communistic or socialistic, I agree, but it is really weird. So to instill jujitsu in someone, to have CrossFit, to be able to escape from it and grow as a human and not ruminate on life or life's problems is very important for a human, especially an entrepreneur where we can escape from work for freaking 45 minutes twice a day. It's the only time my mind doesn't work, guys. I'm sleeping, I'm living work. Last night, I didn't even sleep like two hours because I'm just dealing with idiots. Like I don't know how to explain it. It's not a nice way to say it, but 
dealing with non-entrepreneurs in the entrepreneurial space and getting them to understand what it actually takes or what I've been through. Like I've slept in a car like eight nights that I know of in the last freaking year just because of struggling with money and trying to keep food partners and not wanting hotels and stuff. And that doesn't include travel times in a hotel. So when you really care about everyone, you you can't do that, you know? So it's like, you've got to be knowing what you're willing to do for who you're willing to do it with. And you've got to have training in your life that makes you able to handle those situations. 24 years in, I didn't think that would happen. But COVID life, the food chain that we just talked about, it totally messed up my world. Bad. I did not see it coming. And I did not expect the, the government on a national level to favor outside international companies over Americans in the healthcare space the way that they did and in the supply chain space the way they did with where these companies are owned that are doing our distribution and our food, okay? So, but what I had to do was I was prepared to get the crap kicked out of me because I train every day to get back up, not just for the fight. That's what I'm talking about here, my lifestyles. It's all so I can get back up and I have a purpose. But it you need to have anchors in your life that keep you from ruminating on the bad things, that keep you in positivity and keep you growing. And so as an entrepreneur, you need to anchor yourself more than just in your business. And working on your business is also anchoring yourself to athletic competition. Because even though it's not your business, you need to be working on that competitive spirit because you want to take it subconsciously as you get from CrossFit or Jiu-Jitsu or martial arts and bring that back into your business. Would you agree with that, Jason? And you were talking yeah, about billionaires and felons and cops. They all come there for a reason. So let's talk about that. Yeah, like I said, everybody at the end of the day needs a little bit of relief. They love the benefits that, you know, it's come with jujitsu. And, um, I mean, we live in a country where people are medicating themselves to feel better, to deal with anxiety. And, you know, they might be turning to substances and training on the map fixes all of them. I can't even tell you how many people I've had with a substance abuse uh, with other kinds of addictions that have been fixed by jujitsu because when you're on the mat having fun, you're, you're uh, also stimulating those same reward centers of the brain that happen with, you know, drugs or even with gambling addictions. And yet that's why people come there. They come there to better themselves, to get that mental and physical break. And, you know, most are all to have fun. They love the community and the family that we're able to build there. And that's not just in my school. That's something that you'll hear at many uh, martial arts, uh, martial arts academies. And I agree with this so much that there's the same chemical reaction that releases in your brain when you do drugs or drink alcohol that happens when you do sports, except it lasts longer and it's more sustainable and it builds more confidence because you're active. So it does replace it. It's one of the reasons I love 75 hard so much because I don't even think about alcohol and, and here nor there. I it just doesn't work for my potential and, and my history and, and my childhood and the combination is bad news. So I don't do it. But what the way that I don't do it is obviously it's, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do it. But the way I do it is I'm constantly focused on exercising in 45 minutes a day in the Live Hard program and the exercise and having purpose. And it's the same in jujitsu. When you have that physical competition and you have it when you lose also, you still feel good because you've grown right in that moment every day and you're doing it physically, your subconscious and conscious change who you are. And it changes the need to get that temporary confidence off of something else or relief off of something else because you're actually doing it in a way that actually totally conquers it in the long run if you keep 
committed and keep disciplined to keep coming back every day. That's the importance. Keep coming back every day. Keep coming back every day. Keep coming back every day, whether it's a program, whether it's on the mat, whether it's CrossFit gym. Keep coming back. It's important. Um, so I love that. Last question I promised, Jason, I keep saying that. If you had three traits or skills that you said that you've gained as a human or gained in jujitsu that really matter as a human in the world and as an entrepreneur, what were the, what are those three things like as a leader or as whatever? I don't know how you want to put it, but there's got to be three qualities that you felt that you've really embraced or grown in that are really important in both jujitsu and entrepreneurship. Yeah, sure. So n- number one is that you know uh, you don't know everything. <laughs> you yeah. learn that really quickly uh, on the mat. There's always someone bigger and better and knows something. You can learn something from anybody. Even as a black belt, sometimes my white belt students will see something that I don't see, and I'll get uh, to to uh, to learn something. So I call that the white belt mentality. Uh, number two, you know, you get in what you you get, you get what you you get out what you put in. So putting hard work in definitely, you know, proves itself um, on the mat. So that would be the white belt mentality. You know, making sure that you have um, hard work and. Um, the third one would be like you're just to be a strong leader, you know, having to be a strong leader during the pandemic for my family, for my gym and, you know, for my community. So it'd be, you know, the white belt mentality, um, understand that you can learn something from everybody being a strong leader. Yeah. Those are the things that, that stand out the most. Wow. Thank you, Jason. Thank you to your parents for like bringing your, this human one having the guts to come to America, but to bring a human to America that would fulfill the American dream so well and still fulfilling it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but be, be in a position that would leave such positive impact here. And these are going to be my closing thoughts, guys. Um, and then I'll, and, and I'll shut it down. I'll try to keep it to two to three minutes. What is happening um, with Jason and Sam and Mel that we've had on the podcast, Nicaragua, France, um, and stuff. Um, the beauty in the American dream is not necessarily that that individual has success and wealth. Okay. That's a part of it. And part of it is that they can take care of their family and build a legacy. But the most important part of the American dream is what they do for the world around them in America, the creation of jobs, the betterment of the community, their positive attitude, the good they do, the vision that they cast that a lot of people don't understand or call them liars or say they're not being truthful. They cast big visions when they're true entrepreneurs, and especially if they come from an immigrant family that has compounded these Um, and instill these values and this purpose and don't forget where you came from mentality. And we can instill that in our family. We can realize that we can talk to our children about where we came from and take them back to the country we came from and show them the difference so they truly understand what American values are or what first world country values are um, and why it's an entitlement and and why we're lucky because there's an ovarian lottery if you're born here we're just luckier sorry 
that part i i don't like we can be anything we want but it's a little bit harder when you're born in a country that doesn't have the advantages not a little bit a lot harder when you're born in a country that's not the united states or a free market country like uruguay or the united states that truly have this free market mentality that's truly the closest thing you can come to a democracy and yes there's only two countries uruguay and the united states that are closest to a true democracy on the scale and you can look it up if you don't believe me and so maybe there's a few other in there, but they're the two I only know of that I remember. So um, I will say I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure those are the two. But it's important that we understand why and how that's rated and what freedom is and, and how much power we have as an individual in our own life and, and the values of our country and the culture of our country and our communities and our neighborhoods and our states. It's important. So Jason... You're a reminder of everyone to work harder that life and people, this is not a gift. This is not something we've been given. This is something our ancestors earned through hard work and our parents earned through hard work. And as entrepreneurs, it is our job to go fight this battle and continue it on from generation to generation and make sure our legacy is that growing the humans around us, growing the community, using food as a way to do it, or using whatever skill we have to do it and give to the world and grow the humans. So when I say let's not get caught up on the impact now, it doesn't matter if you get a bunch of likes on your Instagram right now or you have a lot of followers. What is the message over the long run? Is it one of your core values? Does it make you who you are? And can you stick to it for the rest of your life? Is it that true to you? Because if you put that person out there, then you will do better, especially at the younger age. You guys have way more social media power than I ever will. You know, I'm at a complete disadvantage. They're like, 42-year-old, what is this guy influencing? Okay, like, but you guys, like everyone cares for some reason what their their kid thinks. So use it for a positive moment. Capture it now because it's lightning in a bottle when you're a kid and you have all your friends around you at your college and you get a lot of followers. Capture the lightning in a bottle and then do something positive with it. So I leave everyone with that. Thank you everyone for listening in. Uh, you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow through podcasts. And um, we're out. Oh, share the podcast if you like what we're doing. Now we're really out.